Welcome to Out With Dan, the podcast that spotlights and examines the voices of LGBTQ authors, characters, and our allies. Together, we lift our voices and we tell our stories. I'm Dan White. Join me as I chat with this week's author. Hello, and welcome back to Out With Dan. I am so excited that I get a chance to talk to my buddy, Michael Scott Garvin, about a couple of books he's written. Uh, Ophelia's Room is the most recent book I have read by Scott, but I started with Aunt Sookie and Me, which was my favorite book in 2020 during the lockdown. Welcome. Thank you so much, Dan. Thank you for, um, I was actually writing Ophelia's Room during the lockdown, so you can probably understand uh, how disturbed I was during the <laughs> pandemic, if that makes sense. Only those who read the book will understand what I mean. Yes, I, I will say, and I, I celebrate you because the books both deal with deep subjects, but they're very, very different. Aunt Sookie and me was introduced to me by a friend of mine, and Bart said, oh my gosh, you have to read this. I read it. I loved uh, it. We both aspire to be Aunt Sookie as we age. So <laughs> I love that. Um, I know, and of course it's set in Savannah. So you want to give us a little brief description of Aunt Sookie and me? Well, it, it's interesting. We talk, I'm, I'm kind of a publisher's nightmare because uh, Aunt Sookie was so successful. It sold well. It was reviewed well. Um, and so individuals in the industry thought I should follow up with, you know, Aunt Sookie's Revenge or Aunt Sookie Part Two. Instead, I threw them a curve and I released Ophelia's Room, which couldn't be further from the genre of Aunt Sookie and me. And, and I've always written for myself, if that makes sense. I'm not necessarily writing for readers. And I, I remind myself that Truman Capote, my favorite writer, wrote Breakfast at Tiffany's and he also wrote In Cold Blood. Absolutely. So that's how I've given myself a little bit of a pass. And the, <laughs> the fourth book that's coming out is equally just quite different. So again, it doesn't make it easy to market books because you get <laughs> readers that are reading a sweet Southern satire like Ophelia's Room and then, I'm sorry, like Aunt Sookie and Me, and then you, you surprise them with a psychological thriller like Ophelia's Room. Uh, to your question though, Aunt Sookie is a Southern Gothic kind of a satire. Uh, of a cantankerous old woman <laughs> with a um, who's come into housing quite a, quite an interesting young girl in the South, Savannah, in the late 60s, which was a turbulent time. And without ruining the, the story, uh, as you already know, the young girl Poppy has some peculiar She's a peculiar young girl, and I won't go any further than that. Um, and that's where Aunt Sookie begins. I, and I loved it. it. It it spoke to me in a lot of different ways because having grown up in the South in the late 60s, or sort of, I was born in 63, so by the late 60s, I was little, but I can remember things about that time. Yeah. You picked up a lot of the flavor and the attitude of that part of the country during that time. And I knew more than one Aunt Sookie along the way. And I'm happy to say, you know, I come from a small village where there were a lot of colorful people who all wanted to stand out. So Aunt Sookie was a crudge but Poppy 
certainly gave Aunt Sookie a run for her money. Yes, Sookie. <laughs> uh, I think that that pop. If you'll understand this again because you read the novel, but an editor said to me, "You know, you've almost written Aunt Sookie where she's irredeemable." So it, it well, but if this makes no, but before you. <laughs> that was some of the previous earlier manuscripts. Oh, okay. So I, I love that kind of character. I love that kind of spunk and that kind of ornery. I'm going to use that word, kind of ornery, uh, older woman. And so I did go in and even make, I tried to make her redeemable. Uh, and so I had to soften her a little bit. But if I had a director's cut, I would have had it back. <laughs> uh, I just know those women that are full of vinegar. And that are a lot, a lot of fun to be to be with. They're politically incorrect, and I don't think that uh, I can't remember a character that's more politically incorrect than Aunt Sookie in literature right now. Right, and but equally delicious as well. So delicious. <laughs> I, I love her. And, and again, I, I never really ever intend to write a part two to any novel, uh, but of all four novels. That is the character that if I wanted to revisit, she so reminds me of these bouffanted church ladies that I was raised around in the Pentecostal churches. As a gay man, I remember, as a young gay boy, I remember just looking up at these women with these marvelous uh, hair, you know, teased hair. You even see that in Ophelia's Room uh, and yes. the first novel, the debut novel of Faithful Son. These glorious women that would walk around with you know, Aquanet hair and blue eyeshadow, and uh, and and I just loved capturing that um, that memory of my past. I love it, and I celebrate that a lot. It's just <laughs> amazing. And as you say, you certainly went a different direction. I was so excited about Aunt Suki and me that I said, "Well, when I was starting this podcast." I said, you know, I wonder if Scott has another book. So that's when I ran into Ophelia's Room. And it it is really quite different. But one of the things that I told you before we were recording is I find that so often in books that are written by gay people, mental health is a difficult subject to tackle. And it's one that I find a lot of people don't want to deal with. But I felt like in Ophelia's Room, you dealt with it directly and lovingly, and it was a very compelling read to find out what happens. Well, and, and you and I chatted before, and, and again, the first six pages of Ophelia's Room is so shocking to people. It, it's shocking, and I knew I was doing that, but the moment that that, that scene is over, it becomes a character study of a small town, again, Kansas, 1960s. Uh, and, and the obvious mental health issue is, of course, the antagonist, the gentleman that that, mm -hmm. that murders someone. Uh, but for me, Dan, what I found interesting, and you may have caught on by the time, you know, it's, it's quite a lengthy book. And by the time the book is over, I was actually more interested not in the prisoner, you know, not in, in uh, the, yeah, the, the killer's mind, but I actually was more interested in in the her, his daughter. Yes. And if you read the end of the book, you can see how all of a sudden she she was broken. You know, she was broken. A childhood, the past had left her broken. And I thought the nuances of 
her mental health was more interesting than the blatant mental health of the young of the, the the father who had committed such a terrible crime. If I'm allowed to, I will simply say I agree with you 100. Yeah. percent It is it is our legacy in this life. We inherit things from our parents, from our family. Yes. We inherit things from the people we call friends and loved ones. That is an ongoing thing. It affects our psyche. There's no two ways about it. When there is something horrific that happens in life or there's mental illness that runs in your family, it affects you, whether you inherit it or you simply are a survivor of it. And that was the thing that I found to be so compelling. The, as you say, the first six pages are shocking, but they have to happen. They have to happen. It, and it is just like life. Sometimes those things happen. Well, and, and if this makes sense, I, you, I, from our pre-interview, I think that you had a, I, I'm, I'm not a religious person now at all, but I was, I was ra raised in a religious household. Uh, and I, unlike a lot of gay, gay men, I don't, I don't, I don't hold any negative memories of that. I actually, it helped me form who I am. And I actually, well, again, I, I haven't seen the inside of a church forever, but I certainly still hold tight to a lot of the concepts. And I remember as a kid, and I'm going to paraphrase the scripture, but it basically says that, that a child will pay for the sins of their, their, their father. And I thought, wow, that seems an unjust life an unjust crime. It didn't seem like a compassionate God or higher power, who, however you want to say it. Now, as I've grown, this idea of we do pay for the sins of our parents in what they leave us, the tools they leave us with or the, the tools they leave us without. And I think that Delia in Ophelia's room was left, while it's very subtle and it's an undercurrent, she was left broken by that mm -hmm. childhood. And, uh, and I enjoyed exploring that. Again, her father's crimes were, that's the psychological thriller part of the book, mm -hmm. but it's mm -hmm. truly a character study by the time you're done. And I'm, I'm really proud of it, even though those people that read Aunt Sookie, you know, I would do, <laughs> I do book clubs about once a month and I would Zoom them during the pandemic and it would be these lovely women dressed up in Southern hats, drinking mint juleps, because that's what the book clubs would do. Uh, I knew that when Ophelia's room was released, that those women were going to drop, you know, their uh, their bloomers uh, because they weren't going to be ready for what I delivered. And I, I'm having a little bit of a chuckle about it because I, I, I've since heard from some of them. And, uh, they, so didn't I'm curious. Get, they didn't get Aunt Sookie part two. Let's put it that way. Were you, invite, were you invited back to discuss Ophelia's room? <laughs> My phone has gone quiet. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> They're all lovely. And it's been, um, but again, you know, the first novel, A Faithful Son, is gay literary fiction. And okay. so I was more interested in prose writing. I like the rhythm of a sentence or the cadence of a paragraph. I wanted something lyrical. Uh, and, and so again, that's more prose driven. And then when Aunt Sookie came out, that's very dialogue driven. I knew I wanted biting, funny dialogue. So each novel has kind of tested a reader. If they're wanting a James Patterson kind of, you know, we know what we're getting before we buy the book. <laughs> neither, 
neither of these provide that for them. So <laughs> I apologize to your readers now. No, no. So I think, so for me, I celebrate that because I think, you know, it, it you get a lot of credit for being able to do things so diverse. It's, you know, it is a, you. you say there are authors who write the same thing. You know, it's going to start with this and end with this. And there's going to be some of the same similarities in the middle. And that's okay because that's what a lot of people want. I celebrate the diversity. There's so in a lot of ways, Ophelia's room to me is a large love story. It Thank is yes. it is it is, as you say, it's really character driven, but it's a love story on so many different levels. You have Charlie's parents, who I joked about earlier, Roy and Thelma, are just the Bickersons. Yeah. But they have their own kind of love. And they they find lots of things about themselves as they're aging. And that's what we all should be doing, at least in my estimation. And hopefully that is what we do. We learn about ourselves. Well, and I think, again, we were chatting earlier that I think there's a line in Ophelia's room that Charlie, that's the that's the young husband, uh, and his wife is Delia. Uh, it, it, the line is something to the effect that he paid the price of loving something broken. Yes. And uh, and and I think it's quite interesting how when I stand back and look at relationships, I was in a relationship for several years, and the the truth is you have to be. You can't be rigid. You have to be pliable uh, and love all parts of it. I don't know if we're raising people, I include myself in this, that's that's bendable enough to stay in it nowadays forever, like your parents did and my parents did uh, for a full lifetime. But I, I liked exploring the idea of the, the bickering parents, you know, Thelma's biting and that kind of stuff was enjoyable for me to uh, to to write because it almost felt like it wasn't real because they went back and forth so much. But we all know those people that choose to yes. live lives in that kind of dust devil, you know, like two wrecking balls that are just bound and determined to destroy everything in their paths. Yeah. Uh, and I did it in a humorous matter manner because the 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 manuscript is heavy, and so I wanted to put them in there as just a little bit of comedy relief to watch how they communicate with each other. How or, they lack, or lack thereof. <laughs> or lack there. Well, remember, there's a line that says the farmhouse was so long that their son was just happy when the, his parents never met in the middle, which was the kitchen. They had a long ranch house mm -hmm. out, in, um, out in Kansas, out in the fields of Kansas. And the young boy would pray that his mother and father would meet in the middle because that's when the damage was done. If Papa stayed at one end of the house and Mama stayed the other, life was quiet. You my, know that's a reality for a lot of people. It is. My dad traveled five days a week, and when he was <laughs> gone, it was quiet. But when he was home, it was a lot different. So, yes, <laughs> I, I totally recognize it. I loved <laughs> I loved Betty. I'm assuming that Betty is like the most beautiful creature on earth. Sexy, um, right? Sexy, sexy. madman. Sexy school teacher that the other teachers are jealous of and the other the boys in the class 
Uh, a seductress. Uh, yeah, I, I loved her character. I, I won't go into what happens to her character because again, um, but I knew that the way the way I had written her character, the arc of her character, that I'd probably be in trouble. Um, you know what I'm saying, right? I do. I do. And you're almost in trouble. I, I like the rest of it and I like you, so I'm going to forgive you. But uh, yeah. yeah. Well, whenever we get off camera, I'm going, uh, I'll convince you that you're wrong. Oh, oh perfect. Okay. I, the challenge. <laughs> I won't do it here because it may ruin some. No, precisely. Precisely. So one thing about Betty's character, which I absolutely love, is her concentration. So I have a whole bunch of, I'm sure a lot of letters in the alphabet apply to me, you know, a little OCD, a little ADHD, a whole bunch of things. I count things. My day job is accounting. Oh, yeah. So even though I know how many stairs it is to my neighbor's apartment, I count them every time I'm on the stairs. I count every set of stairs I ever step on. It is just, it's natural, a habit I do. So when she did that, to focus her concentration. I loved that because it turns out Betty and I are not the only two people that count. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, you know, I'll just, Dan, I'll just, just so your readers understand what you're saying. Uh, Betty is this single seductress, sable haired school teacher that's new to town. And again, Kansas, this little small, this little small, small town in Kansas, isn't necessarily Greek, gonna be opening their arms to this school teacher that's single uh, at, a, at a, you know, a very late age of 24, 25, <laughs> she's single, so she's basically a hussy. And, <laughs> and so when you're introduced to Betty, as she's walking down the street to catch the bus to the school every morning, she has devised a way of counting to herself and keeping her eye fixed on the sidewalk she understands that life is happening to the right and to the left of her. But by looking to the left or to the right, she's opening herself up to life in this town, which is scary for her. Uh, and being attractive and being somewhat mysterious, and there's a lot to Betty. Again, you can see it's a character-driven yes. manuscript. Uh, she continues to count uh, until she starts having something to look forward to on the right hand side, which is a friendly house, someone who opens the gate and the front door to her. But in some ways, she's also opening her life to the people inside and she may find love there, um, which again, for, as a single woman, uh, can be troublesome to, to some religious um, households on the street. Absolutely, absolutely. I did, I so I really, really enjoyed all of the characters, but I did fall in love with Betty. She was just adorable. And and you gave her a complexity that in the 60s was problematic for a Betty in that world and a small yeah. town. And, um, you know, you do create um, a hypercharged atmosphere in the entire book. The book is very atmospheric. There's not a part of Ophelia's room that isn't electric in some way. And you've managed to capture that in every character in the entire book, there is an electricity. And that is something that is just beautiful about Ophelia's room. Well, you're, you're making my day because um, 
there is a funeral scene toward the very beginning of the book and uh, it's raining. Uh, and at that, at that scene, that's the exact word I went with. I want this to be moody. I want it to have an atmosphere that at no point does a reader feel comfortable. Even with the nicest of characters, we all have, to use a cliche, we all have those skeletons. We all yes. have those um, uh, those blemishes in life. And so even the sweetest of characters, the nuns, you know, the nuns at the bingo hall, you find out that everyone has an edge. Mm -hmm. And so, again, the first six pages of the book, I, I keep telling my friends and the nice ladies that read Aunt Sookie, <laughs> but get past that. And then all of a sudden, you're kind of, you're, you're submerged in these characters that all have edges. Uh, and, and I've got to tell you that even with those edges, I love every one of them. Their imperfections are what make them so damn yummy. Uh, and, I, and by the way, I like that about people. As a yes. kid growing up, especially being gay and going out to the clubs, those beautiful boys, you know, the beautiful men that looked like they had it easy would interest me, you know, because I wanted to be that, I wanted to fit in there. Now at this age, I love the imperfections of life. I, 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 those people that have battled issues, uh, not something that came easy, um, not someone that always had it easy. That doesn't interest me anymore. I like the people that have stamina. Yes, and battle scars because you know Absolutely. There's, they're still here because we see the battle scars, and yeah. that's what you know. That's what got them through. I go ahead. I just found this book so delicious. And I'm going to say if the first six pages doesn't suck you into reading this book, <laughs> yeah, don't call me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I really appreciate it as a writer. Uh, and, and I'm sure you know this better than anyone because of the podcast you do. Uh, I am so blessed that my books have found a home and I'm a self-published writer. And so the fact that they've sold like they have is a blessing. Uh, I'm a designer and a home builder by trade. And I never in a hundred years thought that I would be blessed with a second career like this. And so every day I, when I speak to someone that's read the novels, uh, it's just such, I realize it's a blessing. I'm kind of living this dream that I never thought I would get to, I didn't think I'd be able to live it twice because again, I've got a successful career. Um, so yeah, I really appreciate your time. I appreciate you inviting me. Thank you so much for joining me. And if you'll hang on, I will be right back. Thank you for joining me with Out With Dan. And it was wonderful having you, Scott. And I look forward to talking to you again. Thank you so much, Dan. And thank, for, thank you to your listeners. Thank you. Thank you for joining me for this week's episode of Out With Dan. You can find more information about this podcast and its host at outwithdan.com, on Twitter at outwithdan, and on Instagram and Facebook at gooutwithdan. This podcast is hosted by Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, and the theme music is provided by bensound.com. 
Join us again soon for the next episode of Out With Dan.